If you uh, are, again, just joining us uh, from the past couple weeks, if you haven't had a chance to be here, I'd encourage you to go to pvcc.com, and there you can also find past sermons and kind of get caught up on where we're at. Uh, if, you, if you are a little bit behind, we have started a new series called Here, There from First Peter. And as we go through this uh, passage uh, in First Peter, Today, I just really appreciate uh, what Brad shared with us uh, last week, uh, and last week was also our Harvest of Talents, and our Harvest of Talents was an opportunity for us to give back to God in a way that all that money went to missions, and so if you still haven't had an opportunity to pick up your items from the silent auction, haven't had a chance to pay for those, encourage you to do that, but thank you to everyone that who put a lot of effort, energy into preparing that whole harvest of towns, people that donated items, people that supported it financially and through prayer. All of that money, again, will be going towards our missionaries. And this coming Sunday, a week from today, we will be starting a revival uh, that uh, Seth Amarin will be uh, speaking at, and that'll start Sunday morning next week, and it'll go Monday night. It'll go Sunday night as well, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night with uh, Pie Social, also known uh, as a dessert social but I'm leaning heavier on the pie aspect of things. I uh, would love to make it even maybe a pumpkin pie social, but either way, uh, we're going to have a social uh, at the end of our revival this next week. And so if you have not taken the time to pencil that in, I, I'd encourage you to erase whatever you have on those nights and that we would be here together as the body of Christ, that we would be encouraged together as the body of Christ to be revived in our faith. And like I mentioned, Brad Erickson last week shared with us uh, kind of what was going on in a lot of different aspects uh, of the church when this letter of 1 Peter was written. And, and it was a lot of different turmoil, a lot of different persecutions that were, were going on. And I appreciate him reminding us that not only did that persecution take place then, but it, it's taking place even today in our culture and, and around the world. And I think about all the different individuals around the world, brothers and sisters in Christ, that are dealing with the persecution and the testing of their faith to see, as Peter says here, if they have a genuine faith. And we also need to examine our lives and see if we, this morning, have a genuine faith as well. And so if you're taking notes there in your bulletin on the notes page or on your digital device, I would encourage you to write the title of the message of Proof of a Genuine Faith from 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. And the word genuine means, as I looked it up, truly what something is said to be or authentic. And so I want to play a little game as we get started. Some of these pictures, as I put them up on the screen, widescreen versus their original uh, format, maybe have been distorted a little bit. But we have 10 pictures that I'm going to show. We're going to kind of play a little game to see uh, if you can get as many of these pictures as possible. And we're gonna, what we're going to decide is, are they genuine or are they fake? Are they real or are they fake? Are they authentic or are they fake? So, Russell, if you want to hit the lights, and we'll show the first picture. What do you guys think? Fake? fake? That one is real. Okay? All right, so keep track. We're going to have a prize at the end. Not really, um, but keep track. All right, here we go. Number two picture. What do you guys think? Real? real? Nope, that one's fake. All right. What about the third one? 
That one is real. All right. So some of these are tough. It's hard to figure them out. Number four, real or fake? That is real. That is real. Conjoined twins. Number five picture. That one is fake. Yeah, you're right. That one is fake. Number six. It looks real, but that one is fake. That one's fake. Number seven. That would be sweet if that one was real, but that one is fake. Number eight. That one is real. You guys are getting good at this, all right? Genuine or fake? Number nine. That one's fake. That one's fake, all right? <laughs> and number 10. Number 10. That's a pretty sweet picture, but that one is also fake. You see, the world that we live in is we're constantly surrounded by fakeness. Things that are not real, things that are not genuine. And this morning as we look at our faith, we have to decide, are we living a faith that is genuine or are we living a fake faith that is counterfeit? And as I, as I look at 1 Peter, starting in verse 3, we, we began to look at this passage several weeks ago, last week, and then into today. I want us to think about this idea of genuine faith. Verse 3 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Last week in verse 6, we talked about, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, and as we get into verse 8 and 9 today, I believe Peter is sharing with us three characteristics or evidences of a genuine faith. And he says, though you have not seen him, talking about God, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Will you pray with me? God, this morning, may you speak to our hearts. May our hearts be open to your Holy Spirit's leading. And God, may we be convicted of what we might need to change in our lives that we might have proof of a genuine faith in each and every one of our lives, that it may be lived out day in and day out, and that we might reach into the world, that the world would see you living in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray this morning. Amen. In verse 8, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And so if you're taking notes, that is the first thing that I want to challenge you with this morning is this idea of, do you really love him? And of course, we know the passage where Peter is challenged with that same exact question. Peter, do you love me? 
And as I think about this idea of the word love in our culture, that word we know is thrown around here and there, and we use it at times where we say, well, I love basketball. Man, I just really enjoy pounding the pumpkin, shooting the shots, passing the ball, teamwork. I enjoy that. I really, I really love basketball, or, or I really... I mean, I really love the two for six sometimes dollar euros at Arby's. You know what I'm saying? Two for six euros. I mean, at the fair, you're spending like nine to ten dollars on a euro. When it's two for six at Arby's sometimes, man, I love that. I love those euros. And, of course, we all know that that's not what Peter is trying to get at here. As Americans, our culture throws that word love around like it's meaningless. It more has to do with just a liking or a feeling or emotions. And yet Peter is referring to this idea of agape love. John 14 verse 15 says, If you love me, keep my commands. If you agape me, you will do what I ask you to do. And so this morning, as we think about this idea of a genuine faith, do we have a faith that says, yes, I love you, God, not just mentally, not just saying yes in an emotional way, but in a way that is a sacrificial kind of love. As I grew up, uh, my parents often asked us to take out the garbage, and so that was one of my jobs. I had lots of jobs growing up, but that was one of them, and I didn't really enjoy that job because we lived up on a hill, and it's kind of like taking the trash out here at the church. It's like you got to walk a mile there to take the trash out, and at my house in Haver, Montana, it wasn't very fun to take the garbage out because because we had to walk down our hill. Nicely, we made ourselves some steps uh, to do that. But we had to go up to the bottom because that's where the garbage truck would pick up the garbage. It wouldn't come all the way up our hill. And so in wintertime in Montana, where they're already here in September, is three feet of snow in Haver, Montana right now. It, it wasn't very fun to take out the garbage, and yet I chose to take out the garbage because I was concerned about the consequences of not taking out the garbage. In fact, I was kind of afraid about the punishment that I would receive for not obeying and taking out the garbage. But that's not how it is for me today. As I will go home and visit at times when I bring seven kids with me and a wife, we create a lot of garbage. And so there's times where my mom will say, Charles, would you be willing to take out the garbage? And in those moments that I say, yes, I'm willing to take out the garbage, those are not moments of being afraid of the consequences that might take place. But it's this idea that I love my mom. I want to do what she asked me to do. I want to, in a way, sacrifice what I want to do, which is not get up and go out and go all the way down the hill and dump it in the dumpster and have to climb all the way back up the hill. But it's a love that says, yeah, I don't want my mom to have to do that. And as Christians, we have to mature in our faith and have this characteristic of a genuine faith that says, no longer do I obey because I'm afraid, but I obey because I love God. This love is an unconditional love, a love that is willing to sacrifice any and everything for someone else. John 15, verse 12 and 13 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. 
You see, if we're going to have a genuine faith, and if we're going to say we love God, then it's got to be a love that's more than just lip service. It's got to be a love that is carried out in our lives. And so are you loving the same way God loves? Are you loving with no stipulations or strings attached? Are you loving your spouse, your children, your family members, your coworkers, your neighbors with a love that doesn't require anything in return? Are you loving with a sacrificial love just like Jesus had for you when he went to the cross for your sins and for mine? And if you are, according to scripture here, it's an evidence or a characteristic of a genuine faith. And if you're not, my question for us this morning is, what needs to change? Where do I need to love the way God loves? What needs to change in my life that says it's not about me, but it's about what God wants from me? And so as you're taking notes, we need to realize that the first characteristic of a genuine faith is that we love him. And the second one, as we look through verse 8, says, And even though you do not see him, again, talking about God, you believe in him. You believe in him. And someone once said that faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you can always see their results. Okay? And I say that by sucking in my stomach here. Okay? Yeah, we see the results of our faith. And what does the word believe mean in this verse? The believe in the Greek word is pisteo, which means to trust into, to go all in, to completely have this just trust that says, no matter what goes on, I'm, I'm believing in you. And I kind of I compare this idea to uh, my kids, when we would go to the pool, and of course all seven of my kids at some point have, have gone to the pool with me, and as at age you know three or four, they stand on the edge of the pool, right? And they want to jump in. They want to jump in, but they're, they're nervous. They're afraid. They, they don't know the outcome. And here am I. I have my arms up, and I'm like, just jump. Just jump. I'll catch you. I'll, I'll catch you. And maybe some of you have had that experience with your own children or grandchildren. And, and you know you can protect them. You know that you can take care of them. And yet as a child standing on the edge of the pool, do I really trust my dad? There's this uncertainty that's taking place, this, this unknown of what's going to happen if I really jump in. Is he really going to ch- catch me? Am I going to believe that my dad will hold me and keep me safe when I jump in? Or do I walk away from the edge of the pool, uncertain if I truly believe? In Luke chapter 7, if you want to turn over there with me, Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1, is is an amazing story of faith. It's titled, The Faith of the Centurion. In verse 1 of chapter 7 of Luke says, When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant whom his master valued valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, 
This man deserves to live. Excuse me, to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him, friends to say to him, excuse me, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Did you catch that? Jesus was amazed at him, it says. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The same word used in verse 9 for faith is the same word used in 1 Peter for belief, for faith, to trust into. And it's so important to note that the centurion had this trust in Jesus that didn't even require Jesus to be there in person. And in the face of a scary, sad, uncertain situation concerning his servant's health, he continued to put his trust completely in Jesus. And what about you this morning? When something goes wrong in your life, do you have a tendency to lose faith in God? When it seems like your marriage is falling apart or your paycheck isn't going to make it to pay the bills at the end of the month or you're struggling to know how to parent your children, do you have a tendency to lose trust in God? Your trust in God in the midst of great trial is a very accurate meter of how genuine your faith is in Christ. For example, I think about the movie, the 2006 motion picture movie, Faith Like Potatoes. Maybe some of you have, have heard of this story or watched the movie. And this movie tells of the story of Angus Buchan, a South African farmer who learns what true faith really is. Angus comes to South Africa in the middle of racial turmoil and economic disruption to begin a new life for himself and his family. And the hard work of reclaiming an old farm nearly drives Angus to the point of madness until he discovers his greatest need is Jesus. And Angus is challenged to make his new faith evident by telling others about what God has done in his life. In the challenges that follow, God answers Angus's prayers in miraculous ways. He sends rain to put out a fire and even raises a woman from the dead. The farmer's greatest challenge of faith comes when a devastating drought threatens the land. Though Angus leads the community in a prayer of healing, the drought persists. One day, Angus believes the Lord is challenging him to risk being perceived as a fool for him. He decides to plant water-thirsty potatoes in the midst of the severe drought. 
The investment is so large that Angus puts his farm on the line for what he believes the Lord is calling him to do. And after Angus plants the field of potatoes, the rains still do not come. The entire community is curious about what will happen, and even Angus is concerned. This challenge puts Angus's motto, just trust God, to the ultimate test. If the crop fails, Angus loses everything. And if it comes in, he will be able to pay off the farm and ensure the survival of his family and the small orphanage they have opened. Though he believes, Angus has no idea what will happen. He has grown corn in the past, which is above ground and visible, but potatoes grow out of sight. As harvest time approaches, Angus's words of hope and trust are on the line. And he tells a friend as they look over the dry fields, the seed for a great miracle lies not in difficulty, but in impossibility. Will his faith be rewarded? Or will he become a failure because he crossed the fine line between faith and foolishness? Let's watch. What about us this morning? 
Do we have faith like potatoes? Are we willing to step out of the boat as Peter did? To walk on water, to have faith, to have a true, genuine faith? If we're going to have that, we must have our faith in God each and every day that faces the impossibilities that you might be dealing with. The supreme test of our faith occurs when we risk everything on God. He will not let us down or fail. Each day that we walk with Jesus requires trusting him completely. Each day is a walk of faith, and our faith is expressed in how we live our lives. Are you trusting, truly trusting in God today? And the third thing that I want to challenge us with when it comes to recognizing or having an evidence of a genuine faith is this last part of verse 8 that says again, And even though you do not see him, now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When we go back to the previous verses, we see that Peter is not saying that we should be joyful about the actual pain or suffering or persecution that we're going through, but the genuine faith in what is to come. It doesn't say have joy in the suffering. It says in the midst of the suffering. We have a new birth, a living hope, an inheritance that through faith is being shielded by God's power until we receive the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in verses 8 and 9, it says that we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The third evidence of a genuine faith is this inexpressible joy that just wells up inside of us. That no matter what you are dealing with, you know that you have something better to look forward to. You know that you are saved from your sins and that you are going to spend eternity with God. And because you have a genuine faith in that, you have an inexpressible and glorious joy. James 1, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because, this is why you should have pure joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And once again, if I'm understanding these verses correctly, I don't think God is wanting us to so much as to be joyful for the terrible things that we are going through, but more be joyful that when we face those terrible things, that it gives us an opportunity through the testing of our faith to produce perseverance. And when perseverance finishes its work in us, we can be made mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that, to me, is something to be joyful about. As we persevere with Christ by our side through the trials of life, we develop a genuine faith that is shown in our lives through the joy that says, 
no matter what crud I'm facing, no matter what junk I'm going through that I am going to have to deal with in my life, I know that there is something much greater to look forward to for eternity. And as I close, I just want to share a great example of this. It's a, it's a sad story, but I want you to hear the joy that seeps through. Many of you mo- may know the name of Lalu and Luan Joseph. Both of them studied at Summit Christian College and, and, and were missionaries in India. And back in May of 2019, just this past May, many were asked to pray for their granddaughter. And many of you, maybe even in this room, spent time praying for their granddaughter, Kala Woods. Kala is a young, vibrant young lady. As I watched different videos on their Facebook page, it reminded me a lot of my middle daughter, Briley. They're close to the same age. They kind of have the same spunk to them. And Kala had been diagnosed with a rare and very aggressive form of brain cancer. And so a Facebook page was created and updates began to stream across the web as Kala began to fight for her life. And on June 7th, her parents wrote, waiting is hard. And they continued to discuss the idea of waiting for scans to come back and waiting for results to take place. And and as they had highs and lows in the midst of the waiting, they write, so friends in the waiting Let's commit to fixing our eyes on Jesus, clinging to the joy he has given us, faithfully lifting praises to the one who is worthy of it all. When you find Kala on your heart, raise a hallelujah. There is nothing like worship to threaten the enemy. We are armed well, ready for the fight, and already taking ground. We love you, Crystal and Ben Woods. And I can't begin to imagine the pain that Crystal and Ben were going through it as they saw their young daughter, nine years old, deal with the pain and the struggles of having brain tumors. And as Kala continued to fight through the month of June and into July, just this past June and July, her parents wrote on July 9th, Today has been a day of hard truths. Our reality is that this incredibly aggressive yet-to-be-named cancer has waged absolute war on our sweet Kala. It has relentlessly attacked her body, causing what is believed to be irreversible damage in an incredibly short time frame. Further treatment is no longer an option. And this picture is a picture she had already said she would be part of a a wedding. She was to be a flower girl in a wedding. And the couple that got married actually came to the hospital. She was dressed up as a flower girl. And they were married there. They had a ceremony there in the hospital room. And this blog after blog was written about the love that Ben and Crystal had for their baby. And they write, our hope is in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our eyes remain fixed on him, 
We will not stop praying for a miracle. We will not stop praying for complete healing. We will not stop trusting him. And he will anchor our hearts in the hope that we have just as our sweet baby girl has. Before she was diagnosed with this cancer in February, she was immersed into Christ. She was baptized into Christ. And no matter what tomorrow brings, they write, we know who holds her future. We love you all, Ben and Crystal. And that was written on July 9th of 2019. And on the very next day, July 10th, Ben and Crystal wrote that their sweet Kala was with her king. In three short months, May, June, and July, a vibrant young nine-year-old girl passed away. Kala lost her fight with cancer, but even in the midst of such pain and sorrow, Kala's parents continue to share the hope and joy that can only come through the giver of life and the giver of eternal life. A month later, Kala's, after Kala's passing, they had an amazing funeral, amazing celebration of Kala's life. Crystal wrote on August 22nd, not very long ago, My life in this new, painful, broken, suffering landscape is disorienting. It's hard to capture my thoughts. It's impossible to identify my feelings. A constant fight to focus my attention. The waves of grief are relentless. But God has been so faithful to wash truth over my heart over and over again. There have been so many reoccurring messages from him in the storm. So many ways he leads my soul to himself and keeps me anchored there. She does an amazing job of writing. But I want to drop down where she says she's afraid. Every single morning I'm again confronted with the one overwhelming fear that towers over my heart. As sleep melts away and reality sets in, I'm afraid of the rest of my life without my sweet Kala. There seems to be no end in sight to the suffering reality. Day after day after day, our family is forced to live without our center child. I don't know how to face that fear. I know I can't alone. I know I have to trust and rely on my rescuer. I know I can trust in my Savior. He's graciously leading me to another realization. The choice I make as I struggle to bear the weight of the constant ache of being separated from my daughter, is will I coat my pain in fear, or will I coat my pain in praise? Pain that is drenched with fear makes me a slave of hell. Pain that is wrapped in praise makes me an heir of heaven. Pain that is smothered in fear makes me a coward. Pain offered up in praise makes me a conqueror. Pain buried in fear isolates my heart, but pain planted in praise leads me home. And so I praise. I let my love for Kala flow and fly to heaven and home. This kind of worship is costly. It is still pain, but it is right. It is broken, offered with tears, and oh, it hurts, but it's true. I praise you, God, that Kala is with you. No fear, no pain, no sadness, no homesickness, no anxiety, no confusion, no hurt. She doesn't even have to miss me because she is no longer bound by time. No longer hindered by the limited understanding that I have. 
Crystal goes on to express praise to God for the many blessings that Kala continues to be in their lives. And she finished the blog entry for that day by saying, I will never run out of reasons to praise for my sweet girl. Never ever be able to identify all the ways she blesses my life. And I have to believe she is so happy to inspire so much worship to her king. So I choose to coat my pain in praise. I know he is more than worthy of it all. In the midst of great sorrow, we can still give praise and have joy. And I pray that you hear that through the story of Colin and her family as I messaged them to ask if I could use their story. They said, yes, please. Share the joy that we have in Christ, knowing that as we deal with the sorrow and pain of this life, there's something greater to look forward to. And as we close this morning, I want us to remember that this world is not our home. We have something greater to look forward to in our faith, and what is to come will help us push through in this life. The question this morning is, is our faith genuine? Are we loving God with a sacrificial love? Are we believing into God with all of our being? Do we live our lives with an inexpressible joy in the midst of the brokenness of this world? This morning, if you know that you are living a counterfeit faith and you need to get right with God, we invite you to come as we sing a song of commitment, a song of invitation. If you need to connect with a body of believers that can strengthen you in your faith and you want to make Paradise Valley your church home, we invite you to come as well. May we each examine our own lives and answer the question truthfully, is there proof of a genuine faith in my life? Will you stand with us this morning?